So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 11. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Well, good morning. Uh, I'll have my welcome as one of the pastors here. It's great to meet together. And we're starting this new series on the book of Acts. So we'll be uh, traveling through this uh, first eight chapters over the next 10 Sundays. Um, And uh, I hope our expectations of what the Lord will teach us and what he'll uh, challenge us about uh, are going to be raised over the weeks as we engage with this together on a Sunday and also in our life groups during um, the week. Now, I wonder how your breakfast went this morning. Uh, Does anyone really look forward to breakfast? As I've got older, I definitely, like the night before, I start getting excited about breakfast. Is anyone with me on that? I don't have a very flash breakfast, but I'm, yeah, excellent. Malted wheats from Aldi are a big thing for me. I love them. But when it comes to toast, are you a spreader or a dolloper? What, what do you, are you one of those who just sort of gets the butter and the jam and just doesn't matter where it goes so long as it hits something? Or are you precision? The engineering skills come out. The neat and even spreader. I remember um, being at, uh, at, with my chaplaincy role at Man City, this is a few seasons back now, that one of the um, players there uh, was... I was there at breakfast time, he was getting his toast ready, and this guy took the Nutella, and it was a precision art form. You know, it went on the whole of the toast, up to the edges, perfectly. It looked like he was preparing a pitch to be played on. But um, it's fascinating, that, that image of spreading your toast. Hold it in your mind. The butter, the jam, whatever it is, the pancakes with maple syrup pouring everywhere. It's spreading out. Now just change that image slightly. What does it look for a message to spread? What does it look for good news to go global? You see, that is what Dr. Luke is 
interested in. This is what is driving him as we look at the book of Acts. You see, nothing is more prominent in Acts than the spread of the gospel. It's not like a YouTube clip that goes uh, viral for a few days and then is forgotten about in a couple of months. No. Jesus promises his followers a gigantic geographic expansion. Just look at chapter 1, verses, uh, verse 8. And again, uh, the page number for that, um, as Jez said, is 1092, verse 8. Jesus talking to his uh, disciples. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. See, spreading from a small group of disciples in Jerusalem, throughout Palestine, Syria, into Turkey, into Greece, and eventually the faraway yet center of the Western world, the capital of the empire that is Rome. And what Jesus is sharing here isn't new news. We, please, in your Bibles, just turn back to Luke 24. So that's on page in the Blue Bibles, if you're using those, 1062. And in one of the meetings that Jesus had with his disciples during that 40-day period after his resurrection, before his ascension, he told them the plan. So we read in verse 45... He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. And Jesus told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And you see, here, Acts is the exciting season two follow-up. It's showing how the risen Jesus starts to change the world through his people, his church. And Luke is showing us that in graphic detail. He zooms in on certain incidents for us, which we'll look at. And over the last two Sundays at Grace Church, we've had a mini-series on prayer, but deliberately what Jesus teaches us about his kingdom coming. What does it mean to pray the Lord's will be done? What does it mean when he says in Matthew 9, you've got to pray for workers in the harvest field? Acts is the fleshed-out answer to this. We depend on him to send us out. And so over these next 10 Sundays, as we study this first section of Acts, and I encourage you, uh, in one sitting, why not read from Acts 1 right through to Acts chapter 8, verse 4, the section we're looking at, to get a grasp of what's going on. And this is all located in Jerusalem in AD 33. And as we study this first section, we will see much to encourage us about the love of God about how God works through his people equipped by his spirit, will be challenged to consider the cost of following Jesus and what it means to be faithful to this message. 
We'll grow in perseverance and joy as we see the Lord's people working out the plan that he has given of salvation for a world to all peoples. There'll be perseverance. And if we feel anxious or pessimistic about the years ahead for the church in the West, well, maybe we see the decline and we think that God just isn't as relevant or as powerful as we once thought. Well, studying Acts will help us, will help rebalance that hopelessness will defeat the lies. But Luke also wants us not to be swept up in some unrealistic excitement or superficial optimism. There are some extraordinary revival moments of the Holy Spirit in Acts, and yet God's power is also seen in the consistent obedience and love of God's people sharing what they have to help someone, not giving up meeting together when there's persecution. Sharing good news, even when people would prefer to stay silent and other people would prefer us to be silent. See, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a Welsh medical doctor who then became one of the most influential of British preachers in the last century. When preaching on Acts, Lloyd-Jones encouraged his church family to live in that book. I exhort you, it is a tonic, the greatest tonic I know in the realm of the spirit. They're great words, a great exhortation to us. Live in that book. It is a tonic. So I pray that it is a tonic for us over these weeks ahead, that our expectations, our relationship with the Lord would change and be transformed as we take this word seriously. So again, let's go in Acts chapter 1 and have a look at verses 1 to 3. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach. Until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, do you you notice how Luke grounds this volume two, season two of Acts? It sounds very similar to the introduction in his gospel in Luke chapter one, verses one to four. So we're going to look at that because most scholars agree that Luke wrote Acts around uh, 62 to 63 AD. That's where they sort of land because there's no mention of Emperor Nero's persecution of Christians in which Paul and Peter were both executed by that Emperor Nero. So this means Luke was very close to the, to the events. In fact, in Acts, we see his firsthand experience as he travels around with Paul. And at the start of his gospel and Acts chapter 1, verse 1, Luke is writing to a specific person. Did you see the name there? Theophilus. It means lover of God. And he, Theophilus was probably a, a Roman official, given the title Luke uses of most excellent back in his gospel, in chapter 1 of Luke. He calls Theophilus most excellent Theophilus. Now that title, most excellent, pops up later in Acts when Paul is addressing Felix and Festus. Festus. He uses that title there. So commentators believe that to be uh, more of a title for a dignitary, someone working in prominence in Rome. But obviously, it wasn't just 
Theophilus that Luke had in mind. He had a wider audience. He meant for this gospel, this good news, to be shared. And Luke is clear about his sources. He's clear about his sources. If you just turn, again, we're doing a bit of page flicking here, but you need to go back to uh, Luke's gospel, chapter 1, and that's on page 1025 in those blue Bibles that you might have. And we can see there in his introduction, in verse 2, that he depended on eyewitness accounts of all that Jesus did. And again, we know from Acts chapter 24 and 26 that Luke was actually in Palestine when Paul was imprisoned in Caesarea. That puts him in Palestine around 57 to 59 AD. He had two years in which he was in that area and he was meeting with Christians. He was meeting with those who had lived and walked with Jesus. Within 24 years of Jesus' death and resurrection... He would have had plenty of time to meet with Peter, John, James, even Jesus' mother Mary. He went to the eyewitnesses. He's clear about his method. In Luke chapter 1 verse 3, he carefully investigated the events, we're told. He did that himself so he could write an orderly account. And the goal was so that readers would know the certainty, verse 4, of the events that took place. You see, Luke is putting his journalistic, his educated mind as a doctor, he's putting his neck on the chopping block here. He's claiming that what he's giving us is accurate, that it's truthful. It's not writing fiction. He's not using the language of myths or legends or fantastic fiction. And look how clear he is about his goal in Luke 1. His heartfelt goal throughout the two volumes is to give certainty about the gospel. He wants Theophilus and all his readers to enjoy the reality of salvation that Jesus has achieved for all who believe in him. Now, why is that important? Why is that important as we start this book? Because God's kingdom grows as people hear and respond to God's word. And this is the word that's been preserved for us. We'll see throughout Acts that the Lord Jesus equips people to speak his word. Here's just one reference from chapter 4. It's after a point where Peter's been arrested. There's a prayer meeting going on to see him come out of prison, which he does. And in verse 31 of chapter 4, we're told that after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. How would you finish that sentence? So they sang songs for two hours... They, they just rolled around on the floor laughing. They um, went out and did tons of good deeds and looked after the poor. This is what Luke says. They were filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's not that the singing the songs, it's not that the enthusiasm is wrong or anything of out of place. But the emphasis, the aim, is equipped to speak God's word. This word here that Luke is giving us. So either Luke was writing accurate history, passing on God's word, or he was intentionally spreading far-fetched lies. It's kind of where it lands. As Christians, we come Sunday by Sunday with our minds switched on. And as Bible teachers like Tim Keller and John Stott John Stott, who worked alongside Martin Lloyd-Jones as one of, again, one of our 
great Bible commentators and preachers of the last century, they both have argued that if it was a deliberate lie written just 30 years after the events, then how could Christianity make the progress it did when there were still thousands of people who were still alive who had seen and heard Jesus? There are plenty of ways of undermining what the apostles were saying. Especially when a number of key Jewish and Roman leaders who were skeptics could have easily spread information or evidence to crush the church if they had it. Now, this is important for us in a culture where we face that that thing of fact and fiction blurring so much now, where misinformation is deliberately spread to undermine the credibility of another person's message. So are we as Christians on a flimsy foundation? Are we on sinking sand? Well, no, not at all. God has given us the unshakable foundation of his word. And finally, Luke is clear about the person. He's clear about the person. Who is it that's at work? The book of Acts is about what Jesus continues to do and teach. What Jesus started in the gospel, he continues here in Acts. Unlike all other religious leaders, Jesus' teaching didn't stop after his death. His resurrection is the unshakable foundation. He went on teaching. And we can see that this resurrection was so life-changing. The apostles keep coming back to it. Even in Acts chapter 1, turn back there, where we'll stay a little bit longer now. Um, In Acts chapter 1, what is it we're told? There's that detail in verse 4, eating and drinking together. It stood out. When Jesus was with them, he not only taught, he ate and drank. Had normal fellowship. And back in Luke 24, it's recorded that the disciples gave him some broiled fish. That's fish cooked on coals. Why include broiled? It's because it's memorable. They can see it's been cooked on hot coals and he's eating it. Broiled fish. It stands out. It's such a vivid memory. So Jesus was no ghost. And the 40 days following his resurrection were a crucial time for equipping the apostles. So let's look at that now in this passage. We've looked at an unshakable foundation. So let's look at the unstoppable power for God's kingdom in verses 4 to 9. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Verse 5, for John baptized with water... But in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered round him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It's power. What's going on? What were you doing last night at around 10 to 6? Yeah? Hands up if any of you were watching Gladiator. Come on, don't be ashamed. I wish I was. I was actually preparing my sermon. 
going, oh, I wish I was watching Gladiator. But this BBC reboot had got a few people talking last week. First episode was last Saturday, 32 years after the, the first series that I remember and watching and loving as a kid or a teenager. And it was a resounding success, this reboot. Apparently over 6 million viewers watching it, smashing ITV's Masked Singer or something at 3, 3 million viewers for that. So the BBC are happy. But one of the most exciting and compelling things about Gladiators, which works for the format, is seeing an ordinary contestant take on this mammoth near superhuman strength of an elite athlete. And we want these everyday heroes to win. We want them to find the power from somewhere to hang tough, to duel with a large cotton bud, or collide with Nitro and Giant and Athena and Sabre. We want them to do well. Now, that's one picture of power, isn't it? It's one picture of power, of might, of strength. And it's easy for people to transfer that culturally into uh, you know, the New Testament. To take that cultural picture of strength and power and go, oh, right, when I see in the New Testament that word being used, that, that's what's going on. Uh, you know, not necessarily that the apostles were running around in lycra, but, you know, that, that's the strength. It's strength that you, you build yourself. And it's, it's understandable because when we, when we read Acts, we see some pretty extraordinary things happen. There are powerful healings. There's escapes from prison. There's conversions that are totally unexpected. There's including the, the, the raising back to life of Eutychus, who fell asleep during Paul's mammoth preaching sermon and fell out of a window and died, and then is brought back to life in Acts 20. That is why we have safety barriers on the tiered seating. But the power of the third person of the Trinity, God, the Holy Spirit, isn't something that can be developed, isn't something that can be strengthened, improved, or manipulated by a rigorous education course or some intense training program. In fact, to think of the Holy Spirit as something like that, that energy that can be turned on or off, is idolatry. It is blasphemous. He is God. He is sovereign. He is not someone we possess or control or switch on to get us that extra edge or to have a wow moment. He takes up residence in our hearts as believers. He renews our mind. He cultivates his fruit so that we become what he desires and that is to glorify Jesus Christ, the exalted risen Lord. You see, the Holy Spirit is not an upgrade. He's not like the latest mobile or lifestyle app to make our lives more fulfilled and effective. Now, notice that before Jesus sends his Holy Spirit, he spends 40 days preparing the disciples he gives the apostles instruction because there is no spirit's power without the truth. You see, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to take the truths about Jesus Christ and convict us through this word of our need of him. John 16, it's what Jesus promised there. 
The Holy Spirit works to give us the taste of how good God's truth is. To see it as glorious, to want to apply his truth to every area of our life. That is the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So in John 16, verses 13 to 14, we read there that Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, as he's talking to his disciples on the evening before the evening of his arrest and betrayal, when the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. Can you see the utter integrity and unity of the Spirit's mission with Jesus' mission? Utterly united, Father, Son, and Spirit. What was Jesus teaching them then? That the Holy Spirit would reinforce, that the Holy Spirit would deepen and apply to their hearts and minds. Well, in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, there's a key subject the kingdom of God. And we get a glimpse of what that involved from the end of Luke 24. So first, Jesus enabled them to understand from Luke 24, as we're told there, that the whole Bible was about him. The law, the prophets, the Psalms find their meaning and fulfillment in him, Jesus Christ. He's the key to all the scriptures. And when he opened their minds to the scriptures, it wasn't a mechanical process. It wasn't just infilling information as if there was a USB cable connected to the back of their head and it just all went in. No, as we see from the way Peter preaches in Acts 2, which we'll get to in a few weeks' time, and, and, and Stephen testifying in chapter 7, they learned what every part of the Bible means in a way that it points all to Jesus Christ. That as you look at him, scripture in its truth makes utter sense. Its fullness is seen there. Secondly, Jesus taught them how to share his good news by teaching the Bible. How to call people to repent of their sin. To receive the forgiveness he gives. To understand what it means to live by God's grace. And as we go through Acts, you will see disciples of Jesus using the Bible to help non-believers see the truth of God. And their question, the disciples' question here in verse 6, shows that they just hadn't, they, all their biblical theology wasn't just uploaded, as I said. It, you know, they've still got questions, which is really encouraging. They're students like us. They're on a steep learning curve. There's more to learn. What is going on with God's kingdom? The nature of God's kingdom seems to really puzzle them, and so it should. Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Key question here. Maybe they were impatient, especially given that they'd heard three years earlier, Jesus at the start of his ministry applied Isaiah's promises about the restoration of, of God's kingdom directly to himself. So in Luke 4, he says, Today... This scripture, preaching from Isaiah 60, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So you could kind of see them going, well, come on, Jesus, is it happening now? When's this going to happen? And the blessing had begun with Jesus' ministry, but the full completion of it was still to come. The disciples, like us, have to live with the now and not yet reality of God's kingdom. We enjoy his blessings now. 
We have joy. We see his provision. We get glimpses and tastes of the kingdom to come. And yet, we know this isn't the fullness of the kingdom as sin, sickness, rebellion, uh, corrupt relationships, brokenness, just mar our experience of life with God here and now. His kingdom isn't here fully. And the disciples saw this restoration work, the restoration of the kingdom, as political in some way. Surely Jesus would bring on earth an earthly kingdom. What we need is a powerful nation. That's what the Old Testament shows us, a powerful nation where other nations are put in their place that stands out against the rebellion of the sinfulness of other nations, where people come into this nation to know God. And essentially here to put Rome in its place, out of our promised land, bending the knee to God's Israel. Their focus was on Israel. It shows that the salvation was primarily as well one about race and culture, much like the Old Testament. You think of that so-called golden rule of Solomon where the nations, the Queen of Sheba visiting Solomon, the most powerful height that you come in to find your salvation, be part of this nation and race. But no, God's kingdom has always been universal. It's not controlled by geographic or cultural boundaries. And the disciples were going to start seeing this in amazing ways. And finally, at this time, it shows that the the, the impatience When are you going to restore the kingdom? At this time, Lord? We're impatient. Can you get a move on? Can we have the kingdom now, please? I bet we've all felt like that if we've been walking with the Lord for any number of years. Can't you just sort it now? Before that exam. Or before I need to do this. Or in the middle of this dire situation at work. They, like us, don't understand that Jesus' ascension to rule in that heavenly throne room, which is veiled from our sight, or else we'd get nothing done if we could see it every day of our lives. This heavenly throne room, the control room of the whole universe, a loving place where Jesus is ruling now. Well, his ascension had to happen so that his spirit would come and his church would complete the work it is called to. His return would signal... Judgment, and then the restoration of all things under his loving rule. It's a lot to take in, but how amazing that Jesus gave them and us all we need for his work in his presence through the Spirit. That question and assurance that Jesus' Spirit will come to them in Jerusalem seems to be his parting message. This was the last good news, wisdom, counsel, instruction he was giving them. They are to be witnesses not only of the resurrection, but also to the Lord's ascension, him going to rule. Jesus is taken up so his plan can continue. And what Peter, James, and John saw at the transfiguration, which Luke tells us about in chapter 9, well, this is now Christ's permanent state. He is currently bathed in glory at the highest place with the Father, sending his spirit, giving gifts to his church, interceding for all his people. It's why reading that catechism question at the start of our service was such an important mindset change. 
Where is he now? He's not just popped off. He's hidden from our sight. He's veiled, but he is ruling. He is reigning. And he's doing that so that his mission is complete. So people across the globe will hear more and more of his good news so that they may worship him as they were created to. And we get a bit of a comedy moment here, don't we? Two heavenly messengers appear and ask, why are you still looking up at the sky? You've got to love the way that that just breaks in. These messengers like at the tomb. He's not here. Oh, (laughs) why are you looking up? He's not there. (laughs) It's a very real human moment, isn't it? A moment, let's be serious, of loss or dramatic change where we know things aren't going to be the same. That is uncomfortable, isn't it? I imagine there were moments in the past year you went through stuff like that. I imagine over the next five to ten years there will be more of them. A loss, a change, something that hurts, that feels out of your control. When you're starting a new school as a teenager or college, or when you leave home for the first time, or you move from another job, or you're starting a new church, or more painfully when you're facing serious illness or bereavement. These moments of loss, these moments of absolutely gear-crunchingly hard change Where do you look? Up at the skies, what next? Down at the ground, I can't carry on. It's as if we're stuck in a moment. And we just can't get out of it. We're frozen to the spot, inactive. Can we manage this change? Will this loss be too much? Is Jesus really in charge and in that moment these angelic messengers gave the disciples and us what we need to hear they gave us what we need to know yes he's gone out of sight but he's in control and he will come back he has the power he is our personal saviour and so get on with the work. Do what he says. Depend on him. And you know what that looks like in those moments when we're stuck? It's doing the ordinary stuff in front of us. The thousand small ways that might seem insignificant in our eyes, but in God's hands, they're spreading his kingdom. And as we finish... Let me encourage you with a few examples of Jesus at work through his spirit right now. Firstly, two weeks ago, I had a coffee meeting with a chap called Timothy Cho. Now, I know some of you have heard him speak at CU Mission. Some of you know of his work. He lives in Manchester. He's part um, of uh, Open Doors, which are a charity that advocate for people uh, in persecuted persecuted Christians in countries where uh, one can't practice their faith openly. He's also the co-secretariat of the UK All-Party Parliamentary Group on North Korea. You see, Timothy escaped from North Korea, uh, first time unsuccessfully, second time miraculously. Um, We're aiming to have uh, an event with him 
where we can invite friends to hear him speak about his story and his testimony. We're hoping to do that at some point before the summer um, here at Grace Church. So you will be able to hear more. So I don't want to give too much away, but I am going to share this as we were chatting over coffee. He will tell you that in 2003, he came to faith in Shanghai prison, which isn't the greatest of places to be, through the witness of a South Korean gangster reading his Bible in a crowded jail cell, going over to chat to Timothy, who was anxious, understandably, and telling him, this is who you need, this Jesus. A South Korean gangster telling a guy who had escaped North Korea, whose life very much hung in the balance as to what the Chinese authorities would do with the group of North Koreans that he was part of, has the, the tenacity or compassion, whatever, to just say, you need to know this guy. What an amazing invitation. What a life-changing transformation. What a ripple effect that carries on from that. Secondly, the dad of one of my godsons was telling me a few weeks ago how my godson George has recently started reading the Bible with a friend from college. So George has just started his A-levels. His friend had no church background. It was fascinating hearing Jen. It sounds very similar situation. No church background, but was open to reading the Bible with George. And so they would do this via FaceTime. They started with John's Gospel. And then George said to his dad, well, we finished John. What should we do next? And he had already decided to do Ephesians. Didn't even tell his dad that, so they read Ephesians. I was like, Ephesians? Wow, brilliant. And then he went, Dad, what, sh what should we do next? Well, maybe go back something like Mark. So they started Mark. She started coming to church as well. Yeah, I believe. Very ordinary. Yeah, I, this... this Jesus makes sense to me. All because George had the guts to just say, well, let's start reading the Bible <laughs> and doing that over FaceTime. Simple, powerful steps, saying Jesus is loving rule at work. And then finally, we've been having city center prayer meetings every day, Monday through Friday, over at the Methodist Central Hall. And I've had the privilege of hosting with Ben from Revelation Church, just two minutes walk away on a Wednesday. And this Wednesday at the prayer meeting, Joe, uh, one of the members of Revelation Church, shared that after the, not this Wednesday's prayer meeting, the Wednesday before, um, he and a friend just went out of the Methodist Central Hall, started chatting with some teenagers that were in on Oldham Street in the northern quarter, and they were able to share the gospel, and there and then those two teenagers said, yeah, we want to follow Jesus, and they prayed with them. They received that forgiveness. They receive for the very first time that Jesus is a king who's in charge and in love with their lives and will lead them wherever. You see, the Lord Jesus is at large, even in Manchester. And he's working through us as we follow him. As we sung, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love, and beauty. So, church, be thankful today that those apostles didn't keep staring up at the sky. But they got on with the work so that we could know Jesus' saving good news. Be confident then that Jesus is in charge, that he's spreading his gospel far and wide, and that we have a precious part to play within that. 
And if you're here still with those sincere, searching questions, maybe carrying hurts that are driving the skepticism as well about Christianity, then thank you for being here. Thank you for being willing to listen. But can I urge you sincerely to push deeper, to have the courage to ask the questions about your foundations in the light of the gospel? You might not want to read the scriptures. I'd encourage you to read Acts with us. But can I also encourage you, why not read or listen to someone like Tom Holland, who's not yet a Christian at all, but had the guts to reassess his own foundations in the light of the impact of Christianity, particularly here in the West. I'm going to pray. And I'm going to pray something the Apostle Paul prayed for the, Ephesians, for the Ephesian Christians. God, the glorious Father, may you give us the spirit of wisdom, your spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that we may know him, Christ Jesus, better. That the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope that you have called us to. And his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when you, the Father, raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand. Father, fill us afresh with your spirit, with your power to do your will. Amen.